Coast Al Glenn with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Truth Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. And we sure wish you would. We always appreciate hearing folks all around the country, all around town, wherever you may be. Even all around the world. Hey, go. I'm looking up. They got this new clock up here and shows you what time it is everywhere. So, yeah, if you're in New York, it's 11 o'clock, which is definitely doable. If you're in Beijing, it's 11.04. So if you stay up late. There you go. It's only 12 hours later. Yeah. (laughs) In London, it's what, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, well, plenty of time. You got no reasons. Exactly. (laughs) These new high dollar clock, they show you all these different time zones and all. And so we don't have to worry about that now. Yeah. One last thing to worry yeah, that's about. That's it. You know, yeah. you and I can remember the old hands on the clock. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah one, you, one clock. And, I was telling somebody, it was asked me, I think my granddaughter was asked me, she says, well, what time is it, Papa? I said, it's uh, quarter to 12. She says, what? They've never heard quarter to 12. Okay. You know, they hear like 11, uh, 11.47. Well, in, in, in the digital world, yeah. yeah. Digital, they don't have hands on the clock, so she didn't know what quarter to 12 meant. <laughs> <laughs> I said, thank God we don't have one more dial-up telephones, man. Oh, man, look. <laughs> They'd never be able to make a phone call. That's right. You'd be, you'd be lost, man. You'd be lost in space here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, give us a call. We're going to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. I thought today we would talk just a little bit about one of what most difficult type of diagnosis, mm-hmm. one of the things that drives people crazy more than anything. This is one of the things that we get the car in the shop, and generally the complaint is, I've changed this, 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 and the car's still doing this. Uh-huh. And you go in. And with a couple of relatively simple tests, you isolate the problem. But this is one of those things that somehow just tends to go over the head of a lot of do-it-yourselfers. It does. And what I'm talking about is what we call a transient ground. And transient grounds or lack of grounds can cause more issues than you can ever imagine. Yep. I can remember back several years ago, we had a gentleman who came in. He says, I have put four heater cores, and two radiators in this car in the last year. And it's still I, and it's I leaking again. I can't find good parts. He said, I even tried going back and buying original equipment and still have them. I said, well, bro, you ain't got a part problem here. You got something else going on. Uh-huh. Well, what do you think it'd be? I said, well, I don't know. We have to check it. So first thing we did is we looked, checked pH on the coolant, and it was decent. It was around 7.5. Took a voltmeter, dropped the positive leg into the coolant, took the, the negative leg and put it on the negative terminal battery, and it's producing about three-quarters of a volt. There so you we, go. we got a battery going on here. So why do we have this electrolysis in the cooling system to such a high degree? Because the coolant is fresh. It's been changed. Every time right. he's changed the heater core, every time he's changed the radiator, he's changed the coolant. Couldn't have got it wrong that many times. Even if he'd have put city water in, it wouldn't have acted wouldn't that fast. Sure. So we started doing a little bit of checking, and one of the first tests we did was what we call a voltage drop test. That's where we go to the negative terminal, and we put a lead there, and we go to a known good ground and put a lead there. And we're producing about one volt of drop across the terminals. Mm -hmm. Now, what that means is that there's enough resistance somewhere in that system to to a ground that the current, you know, it's starting, what we're doing by jumping across it is we're providing a, a path to ground. So it's measuring that voltage that's flowing through there. Now, this could be a number of things. In other words, you can have a 
wire going to something, a stranded wire, with, say, 24 strands of wire. And only three of them are connected. Yeah, maybe they've broken off at the connector and one or two or whatever. Well, it will still conduct 12 volts. Sure. And you know what? It will still work because it's got enough voltage going in there. But it cannot return the voltage through that one thing because it can't transport enough amperage. So, therefore, you've got a lack of amperage returning to battery. So, it's going to find a way to ground. You know, it's sort of like if your starter, if you've got a corroded up battery cable and you turn the key, the starter is going to crank. That starter is pulling, let's say, 175 amps. Let's say only 100 can return to ground through this cable. Well, it's going to find 75 amps somewhere. Sure. Well, what it can do, it can flow through the coolant under certain conditions because coolant will conduct power under certain conditions. The engine is sitting there and it's isolated. It's isolated because it's sitting on rubber mount. Right. There's no connection to ground. Well, what it's going to do is go right through that coolant right back to the radiator, and the radiator is going to provide the ground. And what's going to happen is you can produce electrolysis because you have voltage flowing where it shouldn't be flowing, and you can eat the radiator up, you can eat the heater core up, you eat the weakest right, it's just point a piece up. of aluminum. That's right. It's, it's going to dissolve it. So on this particular case, I'm checking around, and I start, I've got a my leg on the negative terminal, and I've got the key on, and I'm going around touching different components. Well, when I touch the coolant temperature sensor, boom, it pegs over, almost three volts. Right. Well, that's strange, because the, the temperature gauge is still working. Pull the terminal out, and what's happening is that someone had changed this sender unit on the cooler temperature sensor, and they took and they wrapped Teflon tape around the threads, I guess, thinking they were going to seal it. It's a pipe thread. It doesn't need any seal because it's going to seal anyway. Well, and most of them are brass anyway. Yeah, they're brass. And then they got a pipe thread. It's cut it a taper, so the tighter sure. you put it, the more it's sealed. Sure. It's going to seal. But he had wrapped a bunch of Teflon tape around it. Well, when he screwed it in, he had isolated this sensor from the, block. from the ground. So the current's flowing into it. It's flowing down into the coolant. It's got to have a ground. So what it's going to do is going to run right through the coolant, which is charging the cooling system. Which it starts eating. The first thing it ate a heater core because that's the smallest part in the system. Mm-hmm. Well, he puts a new heater core. Well, now you got a brand new heater core with an old radiator, so the radiator goes out because it's thinner because it right. has some wear and tear on it anyway. Well, he put a new radiator. Well, he eats heater core again. Then he's just heater a vicious core. cycle. Vicious cycle just keeps on going, 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 going. But you're running electricity through a part that is not designed to have electricity going through it. Exactly. Pull the sensor out, cleaned through it off, tape. did not replace it because it was still good. Just cleaned all the tape off, screwed it back in. Touch my voltmeter across it, no problem. No problem existing. So went ahead. I changed the coolant one more time just to be certain with it. Gave it back to him. Has never had a problem again. Mm -hmm. So something as simple as that. But this gentleman had spent, I don't know how many hours of his time, and he was able to do the work himself. But still, he spent hundreds of dollars on his parts. He was... Fortunate enough, he brought a couple of heater cores back, and the parts store just refunded them. Just refunded it because they they wanted to make him happy, although it was nothing wrong with it. Right? If it was a defective heater core, it leaked from from the first time he put it in. These were taken, I don't know, a month, month and a month half, so, two months yeah. to go bad. But after a while, they just wouldn't give him anymore. Said, so, "No, you got to you got to go find the other problem." You know. But something as simple as that, yeah, just a little bit of Teflon tape, right? can create an issue which can throw people off on a tangent of spending money, a tirade of spending money. It's not unlike 
the United States government. You know, their solution to every problem is throw some money at it. Sure. They don't think. They just throw money at the problem. And the problems just keep getting worse and worse and worse. <laughs> and I don't want to get That's all, why we're trillions in debt. Yeah, I don't want to get all political with you, but yeah. I'm just saying the same exact thing applies to this. Sure. Sometimes throwing money at a problem is not going to solve it. No, You've it's not. You've got to find the root, root cause. And until you find and correct the root cause, the problem is going to persist. Now, it may manifest in a number of different ways. In this particular case, it was eating up heater cores. Now, another, I guess, sort of similar problem we had, guy comes in with a, I think it was a little Lexus of some kind. He had spent an inordinate amount of money. What was happening is this transmission would shift first gear fine, second gear fine. But when it went to third gear, it would give a tremendous shudder mm-hmm. and bang and then jump to fourth gear. So the first thing he does is he goes and gets some tests run. It's got some solenoid codes. Okay, well, we've got solenoid codes. Must be bad solenoids, right? So go into trans. Drops a pan, replaces the solenoids, which on a Lexus, those solenoids are expensive. Yep. They can be five, $600 a piece, and there's probably five or six of them in there. Changes solenoids, same exact problem. Shifts out of second gear into third, bad Thanks. shutter, jumps out, goes to fourth. Well, he says, okay, then maybe the valves themselves in a transmission are stuck and the solenoid just can't operate it. So he goes, has the transmission flushed out and one thing or another, same exact problem. So eventually it occurs to him, well, it must be the transmission itself is just bad. It's got something else wrong with it. He goes and buys another transmission and installs it. Same exact problem. Well, at this point, he's out oh, several thousand, several, several thousand dollars. His wife's about to leave him. She wants him to just buy another car, which is going to be fifty or sixty thousand exactly. dollars. He's not the kind of guy who believes in just going to buy a new car. He believes in fixing stuff when he can. So he brings it to us. Well, we go in and we see the computer is commanding first gear, is commanding second gear, but when it shifts to third gear, it's not releasing second, second gear. gear. Okay, so we know our problem is in that second gear solenoid circuit somewhere. Well, the first thing we do, we go and do a voltage drop test, and we've got voltage flowing around the circuit on the second gear solenoid. So it takes quite a while. We start tracing circuits, tracing circuits. At one point in time, somebody had pulled the intake manifold on this car, probably to change the spark plug. Right. Well, there is a ground lug on the back side of the cylinder head. When they took this off, it was too tight, so they took the bolt out, took it off, put it put back it together. Down. When they put it back on, they ran the bolt in finger tight and then apparently forgot about it, forgot to go back and check it. Well, we did not have a ground here. Right. Or did not a have very a, lo- a loose ground. Not, it wasn't a solid ground. sufficient ground. So what would happen is that when it would go to shift out of second gear, it had enough voltage to activate the solenoid, but not enough amperage flowing to fully to release, release it. it. So it would stay in second gear, shift to third gear. It was in two gears at one time, thus the shutter. It couldn't deal with it, so it would jump on fourth gear. Uh-huh. Basically, tighten the bolt up, problem solved. <laughs> so, hey, we're going to yep. talk, talk a whole lot more about that. We've got to take our first quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more. If you ever plan to motor west. 
Linda, I've been so tense lately. Can you recommend a masseuse? Oh, have I got a massage guy. Johan Thundercloud. He's Swedish Native American who uses classic deep tissue massage with natural healing methods. That sounds interesting. His deep tissue green pine cone massage is amazing. Along with the piercing eagle claw technique. Working your muscles with a rhythmic screech. When you hear that, you know it's working. I bet. It seems everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for an automotive guy, check out the team at Agco Automotive. We keep it simple with high-quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And don't forget about Agco's general inspection, an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so your car will perform for the long term. One thing, though. Do you bleed easily? What? Johan will want to know. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you listening to us every Saturday morning. There you go. There you go. And we were talking a little bit about transient grounds, but as in every weekend, you can always call with any topic you may have on your mind. You That's right. have to discuss what we're talking about. That's, That's right. Kind of a general guideline we have to babble <laughs> Some, about. Something to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Something to talk about. Just give us a call. And you know, we were, were talking about those transient grounds, mm-hmm. particularly mm-hmm. that one on the back of the intake, like that. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it in the in the general terms of things, the engineer that designed this vehicle, he didn't. He wasn't sitting in that chair thinking, "Hey, let's hide this ground from people, no. or make it hard to get to." He just put it where he could. He put it where it was convenient to get to at the time. Mm-hmm. It may be an assembly type uh issue right hey if we put this ground on now then when we assemble the car it's it's done you don't have to get back well, to it or when they're assembling this unit they've got an engine transmission assembly with all the harnesses already bolted to them before the body's even yeah before it's even put into the body all this is sitting there ready to go right they engine transmission all assembly with the harnesses goes up from the bottom and they right. bolt the bottom body onto the car and there it is but after the fact, you know, this is kind of in an obscure position sure. that you're not going to just look at and see all the time. There, there is a lot of that type of stuff. Well, and going back further, if you're looking for a root cause, or how do you prevent these kinds of things? When I was a young man and a mechanic myself, I had a rule that I would never touch a bolt unless I tightened it down or took it out. Mm-hmm. It was either completely out or completely in and tight. I would never just screw a bolt in hand tight and then think, okay, I'm going to come back and tighten it. Uh-huh. Because things happen. Invitation to disaster. Sure, things happen. You get sidetracked. You get pulled off a job. You get stopped. It, it's you screwed this matter of finger tight, thinking, okay, I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna do this first. Hey, Joe, such such such. such. Give me a hand with this, okay? Hey, uh, Bo, you got you got a phone call. Da 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 da. Right. When and I was you time back, for lunch, you go to lunch. You come back. Okay, now where was I? Okay. Oh, okay, oh yeah. Okay, I was doing all this up. But you never think to go back and tighten this bolt. So that is just one of the things that a technician learns. When you touch a bolt, you tighten it. Sure. You don't ever just put it in finger tight because sure as you do, you're going to end up forgetting it. Yep. And converse, so, conversely, the owner of the shop or the service manager has to know you don't go pull a guy off of a job in the middle of the job. Exactly. But things do happen in a shop environment. Occasionally something will happen. But if he's got a phone call, you say, is this an emergency? No, it's not. Okay, when you take a note and you put it on his time call sure. or wherever, you let him know that when he's finished, he can go look at it. But you don't go and stop him in the middle of a job right. because this kind of work requires a great deal of concentration. And every time you break that up, there's an opportunity for something like this to occur. So if you want to reduce the occurrences of stuff like this, you quit interrupting the guy. Right. 
again, it goes back to what we're talking about already. If you want to solve a problem, you have to go to root cause. You have to find the root cause, and then you have to correct it. Now, you can throw money at it. You can give the guy a raise. I tell you what, I'm going to give you more money if you don't leave any bolts loose. Right. Sorry. It just it ain't don't work that way. <laughs> he might appreciate more money, but you right. know what? It just it's ain't going to help. It ain't going to help. You got to eliminate the interruptions that are causing these problems. So anytime you want to solve a problem, you have to figure out. And see, that the reason this doesn't happen more often, because it seems like perfect sense, is because it takes a lot of effort to think. Mm-hmm. Most people will go to almost any extent to avoid to, having to <laughs> To avoid it, right. <laughs> yeah. If I can just spend some money, because money's fairly easy to get, particularly if you got a lot of it, I can spend some money and solve this problem. I don't have to think, man, this is the way to go. Mm-hmm. But there are things that money just can't buy, and that's thinking. That is reasoning. That is a logical approach. And it, particularly with something as complex as this, because it can – it's one problem. Both the examples we just gave was one problem. But they both manifest it in totally separate ways. ways. One mm-hmm. of them ate up radiators and heat, of course. The next one caused transmission not to shift. Now, another example of, of sort of the same thing, and this used to be very, very, very common. You remember back on the Ford Tauruses. Okay. And anybody who's ever done suspension work, when I say the old Ford Tauruses, you're going to know exactly what you're talking about. Inner tie rods, right? (laughs) Used to eat them up. You could put inner tie rods on these cars, and they, about 20,000, 30,000 miles, eat a set of inner tie rods. Yep. And some of the companies even designed heavier-duty inner tie rods. Like Moog came out with a heavier-duty inner tie rod. But you know, it it still wore them out. Yep. Uh, They lasted longer because they were bigger, but it would still wear them out. And nobody could figure it out. Well, what was going on here is, again, we had a transient ground. We had a situation where the ground cables were already too small. Right. When they would corrode just a little bit, when you start to crank the car, again, the engine had to get so many amps of voltage, of amperage returned back to the battery. They couldn't go through the ground straps. On this particular case, even the radiator was isolated because it was sitting on rubber mounts. So Mm -hmm. it didn't go through the radiator, couldn't go through the coolant and get back there. So, what it would do, it would go through the flywheel into the transmission, through the transmission down to the drive axles, through the drive axles, through the steering knuckles, through the steering knuckles, which are also isolated, back through the inner tie rods to the rack and pinion, and then back up to the steering column where it was the first ground. Right. Well, this electricity is flowing through these joints that are not designed because there's a slight gap where the grease is. There's a slight gap, so it's arcing. And it's burning tie rods up right and left. The fix was to put an auxiliary ground from the engine block to the body. Mm-hmm. Did it quit eating tie rods up? And, you know, you tell people that. Right. And who would ever relate that back? And very, very few people ever took the time to – they just say, oh, these things are junk, man, these junky tie rods, da 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 and They just uh, kept getting replaced. Just and... kept changing tie rods. Yeah. And nobody ever took the time to stop and reason and think. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? And, you know, and just putting parts or just putting a heavier part. See, I see that all the time where people will have a problem and they're asked, well, let's put a heavier one on there. Put a bigger part. Put a bigger part. But right. the problem does, was not occurring before. This started at some point. Right. The, the, the original yeah. component held up until a certain point. Right. So putting a bigger part is not the problem. Finding out what's wrong. What changed. Is the problem. Another example, Ford had a... I forgot what car it was, but this was back when we were first starting to try to get better gas mileage. 
And they put aluminum bumpers on these cars. Right. The bumper so, reinforcement was made out of aluminum, which did save a fair amount of weight. Well, behind this bumper where it went to the frame of the car, and I think this was on the, uh, I can't call the name of the car. It was on, like a Thunderbird chassis, but it wasn't a Thunderbird. Oh, uh, it'll come to me. Yeah. Tonight at midnight. <laughs> anyway, because manufacturing those days wasn't as precise as it is today, they had to put shims between the bumper and the frame and the reinforcement yeah. to make it fit the body smoothly. Well, these shims were a thick cardboard, fiberboard type material. Okay. And, of course, they would get wet and the fiberboard would start to dissolve. And so they'd go to the body shop. They'd have a little collision. The bumper had to come on. Oh, man, look at this junk. Oh, he's trying to save Take them money. Off, throw them away. So what they would do is they would put metal shims in, thinking, man, I just – well, now it would start corroding the body. Because they had an electrolysis going on here where those shims were designed to insulate this aluminum panel. When you put the two dissimilar metals together, right. now you start getting electrolysis between. It would start eating the front bun. The front bun would fall off. It would literally eat holes in these bumper reinforcements. Mm-hmm. And, again, somebody thought they were doing good. By putting a metal shim in place yeah. of a fiber one and, yeah. well, and ended up creating a Yeah, Ford engineers had figured out, hey, this needs to be isolated, so we're going to put a fiber shim in there, which is going to isolate it. They weren't trying to save money necessarily. Because I'm sure it probably costs as much to them on their level buying fiber shims as it does buy metal. You know, the savings was nothing. It was the fact this is the way it had to be. Right, because they were trying to reduce the weight of the vehicle. Right, and by reducing the weight, they created dissimilar metal contact in a moist environment, which is going to produce electrolysis, which is going to eat up the metal. And the aluminum is going to lose because steel is a whole lot more oh, dense yeah. than aluminum is. It's not as active a metal. Uh, it's more active metal, excuse me, than the steel is. So it's going to eat it up. And this did solve the problem. As long as you put it back the way they built it, you didn't have a problem. You know, and we see a lot of that, too, is is vehicles get modified mm-hmm. in certain ways that are not understandable. Yeah. And you know, you, you'll take a vehicle, say, and, hey, let's modify this. Well, the engineer probably thought of that already oh, yeah. and didn't build it that way well, intentionally. And test it and test it and test it to figure out all these problems. The average shop does not have the wherewithal to go in and conduct the types of tests no, that they have. They have these salt baths they can drive through so they can see exactly where they can. They can speed the corrosion process up a thousand times so they know what's going to corrode, what's not going to corrode, and they put stuff in place to prevent it. Sure. Well, you go in and change something, you don't have all that. It looks good. It's a nice sunny day outside right now, but now you've just created a future problem for somebody else to solve. It's because you didn't put it back the or, way it was built. Or you created a problem for yourself. That's right. It's just like the Teflon tape earlier in the segment. That's right. You know, a little bit of Teflon tape caused a, a whole lot of headache and expense. Well, that's right. You know, by, by not understanding exactly how this, how works. this system works or thinking you're making an improvement, you've actually created a that's much, right. much bigger problem. Sure. Go ahead and take our second little break. Be right back with a whole lot more. Hey, Mike, I'm thinking about boiling some shrimp. You know where I can get a good price? Oh, yeah. I got a shrimp guy, but there's a catch. His name is Remy Labateau, and you have to go down to Lafouche Parish and meet him after midnight. Okay. He'll be behind the dumpster of an abandoned fireworks stand off Louisiana 1, and you have to buy exactly 50.3 pounds. Well, that's oddly specific. It seems everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for an automotive guy, look no further than the team at Agco Automotive. 
No hassles. Just straight up quality maintenance and repairs. And with Agco's general inspection, they can perform an annual checkup to find any problems and schedule maintenance to keep your car running right, saving you money in the long run. So what kind of seasoning do you use? Oh, I got a seasoning guy, too. How do you feel about traveling to Bangkok? Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just join us. It's the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. And we are live and in person taking calls today. So if you give us a call, we're glad to help you out and point you in the right direction. Let's go to our phone lines. We've got David online. Good morning, David. Hey, Louis. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. Louis, I've got a 1990 F-150 Ford pickup, uh-huh. and it used to have dual tanks on it, uh-huh. and I've been having a fuel problem with this thing for quite some time. Yes, sir. Understand. For a while, it was sucking gas. It was sucking gas out of both tanks. Right. So uh, what I did, I went ahead and I pulled the front tank completely off of mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. and I put a new tank in the rear okay. with a new fuel pump, mm-hmm. and I changed the fuel lines out in it, and it worked great for a couple of days. What it's doing now... It loses its prime after it's sat overnight. Okay. And I can't figure out why it's doing that. Now, when you say it loses think, prime, what, is, what exactly happens, David? Well, what happens, it gets to where it won't start, and when you go to turn the key on, mm-hmm. you hear the pump. It takes about three to five minutes to pump all that fuel up to the injector. Okay. Did you verify that with a fuel pressure gauge just to make sure that is what's going on? No, sir. I don't have a fuel press, pressure gauge. I'm, you know, just working you, out on you, the backyard. You want to be a little bit careful, David, because what you're doing is you're making assumption. okay, this is what it's doing. But we don't really uh-huh. know for sure that's what it's doing. Now, if that is what it's doing, you got to remember there's a whole bunch of plumbing that used to work, make those two tanks work together. I know there's mm-hmm. a valve up on the frame rail that had a bunch of lines going into it, and I don't know how you've dealt with that. If you bypass that valve completely, you should be okay. Or if you plugged up the ports on that valve, you'll be okay. But I know those valves cause a lot of issues. Because they switch back and forth, and even though you may not have a fuel leak, you may have a vacuum le- or, or you know an inlet leak there where where it's allowing the fuel to drain back. Huh? That would be my supposition, but I would want to verify because it's also possible that something else is going on. You know, we could just have maybe a defective fuel pump that's bleeding back. I mean, that's another mm-hmm. possibility. So without right. some type of testing, you're kind of just shooting in the dark and hoping to fix something. You know, even if you have to bring it somewhere and pay somebody to do a fuel pressure test for you. And it's got to be a proper fuel pressure test, not just hook it up, turn the key on, say, yeah, you got fuel pressure. Right, you have to right. do that. You have to turn it off and see how long the pressure holds. Because if the pressure is dropping back, okay, the first thing you want to do is go to the fuel pressure regulator and block that off, make sure it's not returning back through the regulator. If it's still uh-huh. dropping off, then, we okay, we got a bad fuel pump. But it could be, like I said, it could be that valve on the on the fire on the, uh, frame rail. It could be the fuel pressure regulators bleeding down. It could be the injectors themselves bleeding down. There's, there's any number of ways you can lose fuel pressure. But without knowing exactly what's going on, which is going to involve some testing right, with a fuel you. pressure gauge, you could very easily spend a whole lot of money and not you know ever really get to that problem. Well, I think the best thing for me to do then is just try to bring it to you and let you guys look at it. Yeah, we we can at least diagnose it for you, and then you you probably capable of fixing it yourself if you've done all this. And you know, if if you don't well, want to, we can do it for you. you but well, no, I'd rather you do it because for for me to get to that tank, I, I found it was easier just to pull the bed off. Sometimes it is. You know, it's, it's six bolts, and because mm-hmm. I don't have a lift or anything. Mm-hmm. And too old to be laying up under there. I understand. I'm too old to do it on lift anymore. So (laughs) that's what I'll do. I'll just I'll just call and make an appointment with y'all, and I'll drop up to you and y'all fix the darn thing. Sounds good, man. All right, sir. Thanks thanks for the help. Thanks, call, man. Bye, bye. 
Hi, we're going back to our phone lines. We've got Jimmy online. Good morning, Jimmy. Hey, good morning, Lewis. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. i got a question about time and chain-driven uh-huh. water pumps. Okay. That don't make any sense to me, but they, they make them that way now. Do you recommend a certain mileage to, to – because when, if that chain – if that uh, bearing on that water pump locks up, it's going to create havoc. Well, that I is true. But i got to say, Jimmy, you, what, you, what I would do – what I would do – I wouldn't preemptively change the time and chain because that is a big, 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 big job. What I would do, particularly if I owned a car like that, number one, I would be changing my oil real preemptively. I would be changing my oil real regular based on my usage. I would not follow the guidelines that they say. But I, I do that. It gets 3,000 miles every time it there changes. You go. 3, there you go. Make sure you're using the right oil because certain oils do not have the additives to protect those chains you need. So be sure you got the right oil and the right filter in there. And number three, I'll be changing my cooling out real regular on it. In other words, okay. what, what you're doing with this is you're preventing the problem rather than spending a bunch of money to fix the problem. So the, the two sources of a problem here, number one, is insufficient all to those chains to keep them working right. And number two is the coolant getting corroded and eating up the water pump. So if you well, can prevent I'm more those concerned two, about the bearing in the water pump. Well, so long as you change your cooling out on a regular basis, it's not impossible that it could fail, but it's very unlikely it's going to fail. It's okay. probably going to last right. life of the car. All right. I've got 149,000 on this little Nissan now, and I love it. That car, it's the best, best vehicle I ever owned, and well, I, I want to take care of it. Yeah, well, you're yeah. taking care of it. That's why it's made it this far. <laughs> All, right. All right, thank you, Lewis. I'll answer my question. All right, Jimmy, thanks, man. All right. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. You're going to be part of the automotive hour. You know, we like to see that when we're doing a, a time and belt mm-hmm. job that the belt actually drives the water pump. Right. We will suggest, go ahead, look. We're in here. The labor's here to get here. The car's got this many miles on it. It's it's over so many years old. We'll go ahead and change the pump while we're here to prevent any other problem from happening. Yeah, and you know, like he was talking about, well, should I go ahead and just change the time and chain or change the water pump now? And you can, but it's a pretty big job to do. It's it's a tremendous job to do on certain vehicles. Now, if he had said, okay, this vehicle is this many years old and has this many miles, then I say, well, well, water yeah. pumps will eventually fail, so maybe so. But to go in and preemptively do it. Instead, I would try to prevent the problem, and then I would be very attuned. If I start to hear any noise or anything unusual or start to lose any coolant, then I would then, act quicker. Sure. But in lack of any kind of problem, then you know there, there are certain things. You know, like a, let's say, an alternator on a certain vehicle where an alternator is kind of right there on top of the motor. You've got 250,000 miles, original alternator. You're going on a long trip. Yeah, okay, let's change the alternator because it's easy to change. It's, yeah. it's right there on top. If it breaks while I'm on this trip, then it's going to be real inconvenient. It does have 250,000 miles, so it's not going to last forever. Now, let's say the starter is under the intake manifold. Okay, well, yeah, it could fail too, but you know what? It ain't very likely. It's going to be real expensive to do. We just got to roll the dice on that one exactly. and hope it doesn't happen. So the advice is going to be based on how difficult it is and is there a huge savings doing it now or is it really better to just take some risk because all life is sort of you know there there is no life without some risk right you have to look at the reward look at the risk and balance them out you know for instance with coronavirus if we take everybody and lock them in their house forever okay we could probably cut down the coronavirus but that's just not a workable solution sooner or later people have to get out and move around exactly so we have to Let's lessen the risk the most we can, but we know we're going to have to face some risk. We can't just stay locked away forever. Same thing with your car. You know, you can't just change every part every time because it might break because the cost would be so astronomical. 
again, you look at it, you know, I'm doing, let's say I'm replacing the engine in this car. Well, it's 15 years old. It's got the original radiator. I got to take the radiator out to change the engine. Well, it would sure. be ridiculous not to go ahead yeah, and change let's, it. Let's replace the radiator because if this old radiator bursts, it may damage my brand new engine. I've got it out anyway. The system's drained anyway. Radiators not to mention, don't cost that much. Not to mention it's probably corroded anyway. It's, it's got gonna trash well, in it, which is going to flow into the new motor. Well, they just don't last forever. It's, no. It's plastic and aluminum. They don't last life in a car. They last on 10, average 10, eight, 12 years. Yeah, 8 to 12, 14, 15 years. And it, in that case, it, it just doesn't make sense not to change it. Same thing with the engine mouse. Let's say you got an engine mouse with a crack in it, but you're not feeling any symptoms, but you got the motor out. Oh, now's well, the time. it's six hours to come back and change these mouths when they break. Or ten minutes right now. Yeah, ten minutes right now. Well, sure, it's going to add a little cost, but it's overall it's going to be a lot less expensive sure. down the road. And if you use a quality part, you won't have to go back in there to, to redo it that's right. six hours later. Well, and that's why it's always uh, less expensive to use a quality part to start with because yep. you're not going to have to go back and redo this. We were talking a little bit about transient ground, uh-huh. some of the problems. Now, this week, in fact, you had a problem with a truck in the shop that was kind of unusual, which kind of ties back into the same thing. Right, right. We were uh, actually doing some framework on it mm-hmm. and had to change the core support out because it got hit in the front. So all the core support had to come off. The fender had to come off. All the wiring, the wiring harness actually feeds in from the driver's side. It goes across the front of the core support, and it feeds up to the passenger side. Right. And there's several grounds on the core support and the wiring harness and everything. So as it was changed out, everything was put back in, and one of the grounds got overlooked. Mm-hmm. And it was very noticeable because when I turned the key on, the driver's side headlight was dim. Mm-hmm. And that right there is an indication, wait a minute. We don't have a ground somewhere. We, we've got a ground missing somewhere. Mm-hmm. And the windshield, the windshield wipers. wipers actually turned on and wouldn't turn off. Yeah, yeah. So who, so, who would relate windshield wipers not to, cutting off? To this. To, to this. And as soon as I remembered, hey, wait a minute, this ground's here. I went in, I put the ground on, the windshield wipers turned off, the headlight got full voltage and right. brightened up and everything was fine. But so, just that one ground way up on the core support correct, was actually causing the windshield wiper motor to, well, to stay well, running. Well, this is a headlight ground. So the headlight comes on, it's pulling so many amps, it can't return that many through this loose connector. So what it does, it backs up. The first ground it finds is the windshield wiper. So it goes through the windshield wiper, providing a ground to the wiper motor, so the wiper motor comes on. Exactly. But it's also, this one ground is now running the wiper motor and the headlight, so the headlight's dim because it can't transport that much energy. So it creates two problems. Neither one anywhere related to this core support. But except that it was, except that it was, yeah. <laughs> and you know that's the problem with this kind of stuff. It's one problem. Everything we've talked about today is one single problem. Mm-hmm. But, but it, it has manifest in many, many, many different ways. Sure. So you may or may not ever relate, relate this together back to this, or even know to start looking for this. Hey, we got to take our third quick little break. Be right back with the end of the automotive hour and a lot more information. <laughs> Mimi, your hair is so cute. Who cuts it? Oh, thanks. I got a guy for you. Here's his card. It just says Fallon. Oh, no. It's Fallon. Well, uh, Fallon doesn't have a number on his card. I know. Appointments with Fallon are referral only. But I must cut a lock of your hair. Deliver it to Fallon. He will put it under his pillow for a week, and your style and cut will come to him in a vision. Seems like old Fallon has quite a gig going. Today, everybody's got a guy. If you're looking for an automotive guy, 
Buy. Think Agco Automotive. No complications, just quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And with Agco's general inspection, they complete an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so you can budget for the year and keep your car in tip-top shape. So, how much does Fellaw charge for a cut? That will come to him in a vision, too. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, President of Agco Automotive, our lead tech and general manager, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. We were talking a little bit about transient grounds, transient and, grounds and, and, and bad grounds and some of the problems they can cause. Of course, we'll take a call on any topic you might have. Yeah, we will. You know, not all of these problems that we're talking about are necessarily from the repair process. Occasionally, you get a design problem. You do. In fact, the uh, Taurus was part of that. Yes, that's right. It, it just wasn't designed where they could, they could foresee this, and it would occur. And it really, it would work okay for a while, but as soon as those cables got the least bit corroded, corroded or, or somebody would pull on it or whatever, then it would get bad. It would start causing this. There was also a Cadillac, and this is back a ways, probably back in the mid-2000s, early 2000s, had a very expensive blower motor. The blower motor had the speed module integrated into the blower motor, mm-hmm. which some engineer, I guess, figured out, hey, we can hook this into the blower motor. We won't have to put a separate piece. It'll cut assembly time down, whatever. But these motors would go out on a fairly regular basis, and what happened is that the way it operated, you got this motor, and it's spinning wide open. Well, when you go to turn the motor off or whatever, the way it would operate is the ECM would send a signal to the module and say, okay, cut the blower motor. Right, but what well, it was doing is it was actually cutting the ground it side. It would cut the ground side rather than the power side. And either one will stop the motor, but what would happen is the centrifugal force of this blower cage spinning would continue to turn the motor. Now, if you take a motor, if you remember your high school physics, and turn it, it becomes a generator. Uh huh. Because a motor and a generator are basically the same thing. It's just one is driven and one drives. The speed of this blower motor turning this motor would produce voltage. The voltage had nowhere to drain off to because the ground had been disconnected, so it would run back through the module and it would burn out the module. It wouldn't do it right away. Right. It took a time. But inevitably, it would do it. And there was really no way. I know people would go in, add extra grounds to it, and that would really just make it worse because now you're putting a ground where it doesn't belong. The inevitable fix, they redesigned and put a chip in there that whenever it would open the ground to the blower motor, it would also ground the other lead. And, and therefore, it took, it took a design change. It took an SCR, it, which is like a little tiny electronic relay, and they just switched where it would, it would ground this, this charge off because mm-hmm. they figured out what was going on. And there was a replacement updated blower motor for it, and those would fix the problem. Right. So it's not always somebody went in and did something wrong. As good as engineers are, and I tell you, they they Man, they they, fores- they foresee a lot, but they, they can't do, foresee everything. But you got you got hundreds of thousands of components all interacting under just bizarrely sure. immense number of conditions something gets overlooked from time to time and then you got a problem well and you know you design a, a, a vehicle for a certain region and it ends up getting sold in another region right. well that just the difference in the regions could right. cause problems that's right and 
things like that do occur. They're not very common, but they do occur. And generally what you can have is a pattern failure when that happens. Right. All, and all of those models will have this particular problem. And sometimes they'll go back and, and redesign, hey, look, we're having problems with this. Let's put our service bulletin with an updated right. part. You go to the inf- service information and say, look, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. Here's the updated part. This is a particular problem. This should fix it for I've you. noticed that Toyota and Honda are pretty good about that. You'll get a part, and the part number's changed. Uh-huh. And so you call the parts department and say, look, it's not the same part number I ordered. Yes, sir, it's changed. Okay, if you ask, a lot of times they can pull up the engineering notes, and they can tell you why it changed. Well, it's been revised, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Right. And sometimes they'll tell you what it's going to solve. Sometimes they don't. They don't know. They just know it's an engineering change. But I find they're real good about that. Other companies like GM, for instance, I find they're they're pretty poor about making changes, production changes. They will have a problem, know they got a problem, and just continue it on till the well, next redesign. Point in case is the steering shaft on a Chevy truck. Oh yeah, yeah. Since nineteen what ninety eight? Yeah, ninety eight, ninety nine. They started yeah. with that clunk 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 clunk, yep. clunk clunk, and they did redesign the shaft, but the new Several one was no times, better but, than yeah. the old one. And another example would be the drive shaft clunk, right, on the same truck. You'd come to a stop. And all of a sudden, I feel like somebody, bam, hits you from behind. You look back, there's nobody behind you. It's a dry shaft. It's, it gets dried out. You have to take it out, lubricate the splines, put, put it, it back, back together. together. It because lasts a little while. The machine work was so rough on these splines that it would just bind. It would wipe the grease out. So, yeah, you, you do get those kinds of things, and it requires a redesign of some sort to fix the problem. Sometimes yep. you can do something in the field. Sometimes you can't. But those kinds of things do happen, uh, particularly with electrical components. Mm. And, you know, it, it, it can drive you crazy. And what really bugs us is that if we've got a poor design, we can fix it back as good as it was designed. Exactly. But it's going to come back because it's a poor design to begin with. Occasionally, you can do something to make it better. But, of course, the customer's looking at the shop. Now, wait a minute. We've changed this thing. Yeah, I know. And you're going to probably change it that many more because uh-huh. it's just not designed to last any better. And you complicate that much further when cars start to get older, you can no longer get the OEM updated parts. Right. And what you're getting instead is some offshore knockoff part that maybe doesn't have the updates in it, or maybe it's just not designed right to start with. So then you just start getting into these other issues. You know, we had a guy that he had an older Chevrolet, and he liked the car a lot. He had spent quite a bit of money on it, but the catalytic converter went out. Right. Well, call GM, the part's been discontinued. Now, the original part was about $1,200. The replacement part is about $200. Well, that tells me right there, something ain't in there. Yeah, something's different. The original part lasted, I don't know, 20 years. We replace it. The replacement lasts about three years Mm -hmm. and goes out again. He said, we all just replaced this thing three years ago. I said, yes, sir, we did. But we had to put an aftermarket part because that's all that was available. Right. Well, he was angry about it i said well, i'm sorry you're angry but this is the best i can get it's installed properly it's just an inferior, inferior part. part why didn't you put a better? because there is no better part there's no better part available for your car that's been obsolete for years mm-hmm. well the first one lasts well yeah the first one costs twelve hundred dollars this one costs three hundred dollars so you can get into those kind of situations and that's happening more and more because with cars as expensive as they are and as complicated as they are, and the fact they're not really built all that great, in my opinion, anymore, a lot of people want to go to the older cars. I've always thought if some company could come out and design a really high-quality replacement part for some of the older cars, oh yeah, they would have they a bird nest on the ground. Exactly. 
you know, unfortunately, that's not the model. The model is let's make it cheap so people will buy it and we'll just give them another one. Yep. But uh, that's that's the way most people, you know, most yeah. things are shopped now. Well, and it's frustrating to the owner. It's frustrating to the repairman. It's frustrating to everybody involved. But sometimes you just have to tell people. And, you know, another example of that is like steering boxes oh, man. on older vehicles. You oh. almost cannot buy, for any amount of money, a decent steering box. Nope. Basically, all the new ones are gone. They're obsolete. They don't make them anymore. The replacements are either rebuilt substandard or some kind of aftermarket knockoff, which is probably worse than a rebuilt one. If you can get a rebuilt one, hadn't been hadn't been messed bot- with, botched up two or three times. But it's all but impossible. It gets to the point where you almost want to just tell the customer, I'm sorry, I just can't fix it. Uh-huh. And you never want to tell a customer that, except that you know this is going to go wrong. Right. So you try to explain up front the best you can. But inevitably, he spent a lot of money. He still doesn't have the results he wants. And you're the guy taking the money, so you're the guy he's going to look at. <laughs> and, you know, it, there are certain jobs that we just won't take. Right. I mean, I, I cannot get a part to fix this. I'm telling you right now. And, you know, had a, a guy come in, and he had a, it was a Ford truck of some kind, and the power steering pump was whining, which they had that problem. Even the new pumps would whine. Right. They just It was just a defective design. And eventually they quit making the pump, and all you get was rebuilt aftermarket, and then you really had a problem. The guy comes in, he's got a slight whine. I said, if it were me, I would I'd just run, I'd just drive it. Well, I don't like that whine. I said, well, if it were me, I would just leave it alone. Well, I'll go somewhere else. Okay, I'm sorry you feel that way, but go right. ahead. So he puts has a rebuilt pump put on there. Well, now it's leaking, just pouring fluid out. Sure. Goes back, they put another one on there. Well, now it's too hard to steer because it doesn't have the right pressure. Goes back a third time, they put another one. Well, this one's whining louder than the first one. So he comes back to me. He says, what's going on here? I said, I told you. I tried to tell you. Right. You know, if you could get your original pump back, at least it had a slight one. Now you got a worse one. You know, you just can't get a there's, component that's going to fix this problem. Right. There's certain things you just can't yeah, put back. I, for whatever reasons, I know that flies in the face of what people think, you know, and, you know, this is America. We can do anything. But there are certain things you just ain't going to fix, man. Right. And, you know, you just have to either put up with it or just keep on spending money on it. I wish somebody would recognize this problem and, and come up with a solution. You'll start doing a real high-end rebuild because it is possible. It's just not being done. Well, and, and it would be it would be bought. You yeah. Know? You would think a lot of people would want them. Yeah. So anyway, we're not going to solve that problem today. <laughs> <laughs> we're all out of time. got to get on out of here. Tell everybody how much appreciate them listening this week and every week on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters. Go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service. Find a written view and fill it out for us. Hey, you know, that'll move us up in ranking so more people can listen and more people listen the longer we can do the show. A preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.